Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units, recording episode four in the last six days. I'm joined by James. How's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, I was going to say something about feeling weathered and tired from all this work, but I think that would be overselling it slightly. How <laughs> are you doing? An hour a day. Yeah, I'm good, man. Um, this episode is going to be coming out on the 6th of June. So crucial question before we get to our guests. Are you enjoying your honeymoon as people listen to this? Uh, yes, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Thanks. I'll hold you to that. And joining us is the captain of the James McSorley needs to take 20 plus shots a game all-star team. And the man who single-handedly got signed, sealed, and announced so early on that he basically undid our whole plan for the Bench Units Transfer Tracker and the Inside Scoop series by getting this news out before we were ready. Fabian Romo, how's it going, man? Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So we are here because, as we alluded to, you have very um, early in the offseason announced that you are going to be joining Lead. So congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. And we're going to be getting into talking about your career and what's led you to this point. But before we do that, James has a pet segment that he likes to throw at all our guests now. I thought you were going to breeze past it. So every guest we've had on since it has been public knowledge that Mark's going to be a dad for the first time soon. I've been pushing people for baby names. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been pushing people for baby names. Um, so if you were to name Mark's uh, yet-to-be-born child, what what would you go for? Do I, need give, what, do I need to give a boy and girl name? or You can do whatever you want, man. You can just pick one, go right down the middle. Or um, Everyone's been giving two, except Tommy Boma uh, just was like, my dog's called Herbert. What about that? I'll try to give a boy and a girl name. I'd say girl, maybe uh, I've always liked the name Samantha and then oh, boy God. name. I'd say, I don't know what it is. I think Leon. I've always liked the name Leon as well. Oh, really? That's interesting. I It's taken me many, many hours of persuasion to get my wife to shortlist that one. It oh, was really? Like- it was like a hard no early doors, and then I like pu- pushed it a little bit and a little bit, and it it's made its way onto the shortlist. So thank you for um, adding some belief in that one. <laughs> no problem. What I want to know, what I want to know, is like how many times will it take for us to do this for people to like open the podcast and skip forward five minutes? <laughs> because this is like this is one of the only bits that's remained from the early days of us doing this that's just like completely for my own benefit like (laughs) we've really really tried to actually make this into something that people like and people enjoy and people get something from but we still have a little bit of like no this is for me but (laughs) yeah so thank thank you for indulging us there man we appreciate it no problem and we'll start talking about you because that's why you're here so Question one that we tend to ask everybody when they join us for the first time is mm-hmm. for people who don't know you, which is us, because this is the first time we've literally ever spoken to you in our lives. How did you get started and what were your kind of first steps in the game of wheelchair basketball? Um, so I was born in Chicago, but I was raised in Houston throughout my whole life. And I'd say around the age of 15 is when I found out that there was a 
a wheelchair basketball program here in Houston, and it was kind of a shocker to us because my whole life um, here, we didn't know anything about adaptive sports. Right. And I actually went to a, a track clinic at a Shriners Hospital for Children. And from there, we met one of the, the head staff people at a recreational center in downtown Houston. And he was like, oh, yeah, we have uh, wheelchair basketball. We have um, wheelchair softball. He was naming off some sports. And it was like, you know, um, I think the following day, um, the team was going to have practice. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, get involved, um, you guys can go ahead. And then I think I went to that practice and I fell in love immediately. Yeah. The, the never looked back moment is like a, yeah. a common one among people who've gone. You say you were 15 then. So you've gone like your whole, nearly your whole childhood having not found yeah. you know, the sport. That was something that I think most able-bodied, you know, kids becoming athletes could never imagine because be it basketball or whatever else it may be, they normally pick that up from the age of like four years old onwards. But yeah, how, lo how long had you lived with your disability before you kind of found basketball? Um, so I was born uh, with PFFD. Uh, basically, I was born without my femur. Right. And around the age of three is when I got my leg amputated. And ever since then, I've been using a prosthetic. Awesome. Okay. And did you do the thing that you hear a lot of people talk about where you were just playing sports with other able-bodied kids your age without having any idea that this was even an opportunity open to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I try to play as many sports as I could. Um, I felt that I was, even with a disability, I was pretty good, uh, better than other able-bodied people <laughs> for sure. Um, but basketball was always kind of like my number one. Um, but in terms of like going at a pickup or something, running, I mean, I would always struggle because I would run out of energy or things like that. But I would always spend time shooting around with friends and everything like that. Yeah, a, a pickup game with able-bodied kids is, is not built for somebody <laughs> on a prop <laughs> leg. <laughs> yeah. But I think... Um, yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned that you, you know, you kind of literally went down the next day after you found out that the sport existed. And, you know, from that point on, you you never looked back. What was the kind of, what was the level of exposure from, you know, going to that first practice, joining your first club into realizing kind of the, I guess, the wider world of, of wheelchair basketball? Because I think a lot of kids kind of joined their local club and almost have no idea that it's played in the world to the extent that it is. Was that the case for you? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know it was. Um, I thought it was something just kind of within my town or my city. And then whenever I joined that team, the Houston Hot Wheels, um, we actually took a trip down to UT Arlington, uh, which I ended up going to university there. Yeah. And then I... I saw my first tournament and I just saw all these other teams, uh, saw them compete. And that's when I met uh, coach Doug Garner and kind of started slowly exposing myself to the adaptive world. Definitely. Okay. Was there anyone in your first club who had played at a high level or was it pretty sort of recreational stuff? Um, 
at the at the time i think we were all um there was there was a couple i know caitlin eden she was on the team whenever i first joined she's on the usa team now victor mesa uh he played in germany i think a year or two ago um malat way kyle huckabee those were like the main people that i knew and then slowly once I myself started playing, I started um, meeting other people from other states and everything. I started meeting people like Rosie. Um, Never heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I can't even think of a name right now, even though I've met so many people just from just from being in high school. But yeah, I think. It happens. I think we've found this as we've had a couple more US based guys on the podcast is that there's so many American players because obviously the States is such a massive place. Um, and there's, you know, such a breadth of talent across the place. There's a lot of American players who are like legendary within, you know, the be it the US league or like their local you know, the slightly smaller, lower division leagues, they're like legendary. And then you get across to Europe and people have never heard of these guys. But I imagine it's kind of the same the other way around. There must be like players in Europe that you've run into and been like, how have I never heard of this guy? He's really good. Yeah. And I think even some of the, like the US legends that um, you guys might know, I myself still haven't like met them or ever heard of them. Right. Okay. Because I'll, I'll I'll have some conversations with some other guys, and I was like, oh no, like if you ever saw him or like did you ever meet so and so, and I'm just there with a blank stare on my face, <laughs> and I was like I have I have no idea. Yeah, I think so- that's a really interesting thing. Like I had that experience uh, playing and living with Rose Hollerman for a couple of years where. I don't know, there were, say, European guys playing in the league in Spain that Rose would come over and say, we either don't really know or care who this guy is or kind of it's common knowledge in the, or it's a common thing in the US that we kind of don't think this guy is as good as you guys do over here. And then the opposite happened where Rose would be like, I'm going to find you a game of Bobby Nickelberry because he's the best player that has ever lived. (laughs) Like, that was the one that came up all the time where Rose was like, He's obviously not playing international ball anytime soon, but like she was like, it's one of these. He's one of these people that you'd have to be there, and you'd see him, and you'd be like, no, this guy's the this guy's playing a different sport. What's going on? Yeah, stuff like that. Like that's my favorite thing about it. Like someone being like, no, 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 you need to see this in person. Because yeah. like people do stuff in practice that they don't do in games all the time. Yeah, that's part it's of it. very different. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it definitely is um, it definitely is a thing just because I don't think wheelchair basketball has, at this point anyway, and coming up to this point, doesn't really have like the documented history in terms of, you know, results of tournaments or like All-Star 5 selections or amount of video or whatever. So it's yeah. actually like kind of a common thing between me and James that one of the guys who was like my formative influence as I was playing at a young age was a guy called Callum Gordon, who I imagine you've never heard of. Um, he's a, he's a Scottish four and a half who used to play for GB, but I like played with him as his career was winding down. And I've like tried to explain him to James. I don't know how many times, but there's no video. And it's like, you're the same age as me and grew up like 
in the same pipeline of the same country and you don't know who this guy is and it's like just like holes like that in wheelchair basketball history yeah, that... it's very and this I was early 2000s like this was it's not like oh this guy in the 70s like <laughs> this was 2005 <laughs> like, yeah it's ridiculous yeah. man but i'm i'm hoping as we move forward like that those gaps in the knowledge will stop being the case like i think yeah. There's enough stuff on social media and whatever now that like there's not really any excuse for guys' careers to just kind of fade out of yeah. out of memory. Yeah, I think that would be that would be very beneficial to the whole sport in general. So speaking of that kind of stuff, um, we tend to ask people what their or who their early influences were in kind of molding and shaping their game and how they played. Uh, obviously, you're coming from the States, you've got some great role models, but it led me on to a question that I'd not thought of really, which was, do you, why do you think it's more common that in the US, the guys who are kind of your higher point players have a tendency to go more mid-height in terms of kind of yourself, Jorge Sanchez, Brian Bell, Josh Turek, for example? And do you think that was a conscious decision in you following footsteps of some of those guys or is that just how it's done over there um i'd say personally for me i don't know i think it's just kind of the role that i started with and i know there was a couple of i'd say like victor for example he was a three and a half at the time when i met him um he was influenced by a colombian player um who taught him kind of how to be big even though for like a smaller uh, 3.5 so there was kind of things that I was trying to to learn um because previously shooting wise I mean able-bodied standing up I would always shoot I would love to shoot so then I was just trying to adjust um being able to move my chair and things like that um but I think the style of play that like you said us high pointers over here tend to i'd say we're, we're not that we're not that tall <laughs> uh yeah um we're not that tall kind of like i mean for example like joe chambers that's another like he's a big guy yeah. bobby nickelberry like rose has mentioned he's a very tall dude um and after seeing a couple of the european guys um that play overseas they're just towers like rodney for example i've met him he's from over over here in houston and i'm i'm just looking at him <laughs> in a in a chair um and the size difference is just crazy so i think we have to kind of find like that sweet spot in between where we can try to play big but also have that like mid-range game Definitely. I think a lot of it comes from, uh, I don't correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of it comes from chair setup. Like a lot of your, even your four or five sit flat. Like there's yeah. no the really short seat foot plate, a foot out in front of you. So you're practically yeah. standing up stuff. And I, I wonder if it comes from like, I don't know, you guys are also, and there's a lot of bigs that can shoot, pass and dribble and really, really move their chairs everywhere in the world, obviously. But there's a real, real emphasis for fundamentals and chair skills for you guys. And that's maybe not the case in certainly some countries in Europe. Um, so I wonder if it's that. I wonder if it's from a young age. It's like, hey, man, 
you got to be able to move your chair. You got to be able yeah. to swim 15 feet. Like, I think that has to be some of it. Whereas, yeah, like, there's I a lot so of guys, too. like, you could stand Brian up and he'd be a foot taller. <laughs> but, like, I don't know if he'd be able to move like he was on his feet if he was actually stood up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it really all depends on chair setup for sure, like you said. Okay. So, should we move on to your UTA days? Mark, have you got anything? We've had a couple of people who've been through the collegiate system that the way it's done in the US, which is obviously completely alien to people like us because there's no equivalent thing over here. And we kind of, one thing we've noticed is most of the players who come over from the States have been through the collegiate system. You very rarely get anybody American who arrives in Europe having not done at least, you know, a couple of years at be it UTA or Illinois or wherever it may be. So you've obviously been through it and come to Europe after that. Do you think that's the right path? Has that been the right path for you? And would you like to see more people do that? Um, yeah, definitely. I think for me, it benefited me tremendously. Um, I kind of took those couple years or five years at UTA, learning from so many of great players that have been there that graduated before me and then there's a lot of previous like USA guys that live around that area, like Jane Elm, Penny. Um, uh, th- there's a lot of people. Um, and they're usually throughout the summers or things like that. There's a bunch of people that travel just to go there and scrimmage. So right. there's always a good amount of numbers. Um, there's always a good amount of basketball to be played. Um, and it's a good environment, a good area to be in um outside of basketball so i think i would definitely encourage even i'd say take uh bincho for example he's over here in alabama and he was playing with Illudian before um and i think it's just more so of the experience of being able to kind of have a different basketball experience and then kind of see what it's like and learn uh, I guess different styles of basketball and then try to compare the the collegiate level to the international level over here in Spain or wherever you're from because um, they're it's very very different right when you say it's very different what are the kind of the obvious things that come to mind there I think um, intensity for sure um uh, very, very um, fast-paced. And collegiate level, I mean, you have 30-second shot clock, and it's a long time yeah. compared to international, um, which I think they should switch to 24 just to start preparing these college guys uh, or, or even in um, the other divisions that we have. Over here is kind of like a championship division, which is kind of like first, second, and then third division leagues over here um, where there's a a lot more people trying to compete, but it's not necessarily connected to the collegiate level. Right. Um, But I think think worldwide it should just be 24-second shot clock just so if everyone's trying to say get to the Paralympics or anything like that, if that's what they're aspiring to reach, especially at a young age, I think being able to teach them at a younger age, kind of like expectations, trying to 
imitate what it may be like whenever they end up growing up or for those who are very close to that next step. I think that that's um, a very good jump to have. Yeah. yeah. And thinking back on your years in UTA, um, who were the, who likes, who stuck out in terms of teammates that you have? You'll have to forgive my ignorance. I don't really, I didn't really keep up with the college game back a couple of years ago. So who, who did you play with um, over the last few years? Um, I've played with um, my freshman year. I played with some internationals, uh, young guns. Oh, right. He's with Hanover right now, I think. Yeah. Um, Andy Kraft. Um, oh, he's the, um, the Austrian fellow. Austrian, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I learned a good amount from those two guys my freshman year. Um, my freshman year, I didn't really play too much because they were the seniors. So after they graduated, that's when I kind of started playing a little bit more. But I've, I would um, always learn a lot from them. And then throughout my next years, I played with Ian Pearson. Oh. Um, Clarence uh, McCarthy Grogan, sure. uh, we're, we're going to get onto him in a little bit, but you and him are um are going to be reuniting, right? Yeah. Awesome. Um, a Japanese teammate that I had, Daisuke Mitsumoto. Um, who else? Uh, Jay Daunt. He's also Australian. Oh um, yeah, he played in Gran Canaria for a year. Who else was international? Man, we had so many international people. It was crazy. Um, and are there are there many guys that you played with in college that haven't come and played over in Europe that you think could make it, like, or that you would love to see in the leagues? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, especially some of the younger guys that are coming out are uh, coming up now. Um, just seeing their growth and which I think is good for the sport. I think it's always. I always love going back and seeing um, the younger guys, seeing them grow um, and seeing just them improve, especially more on the the mental side um, because they're kind of realizing that um, a lot of it is more mental than physical. Um, But I would love to see a lot more guys from over here play in, in Europe for sure. What's your, um, I've ne- never thought about this, but when you say it's mostly mental, in a setup like UTA, do you have access to stuff like kind of sports psychology and all that kind of thing? Because that's that seems to me to be one frontier that I don't think the European clubs have really cracked yet, maybe synonymous with like a fully professional setup and integrated with a university that's got a lot of resources. Um, I know specifically at UTA, we didn't have a sport psych uh, person. Uh, we did have like an athletic athletic trainer, um, but there's there was a bunch of resources that was um, available made to us. So yes. if we ever needed anything, we could maybe talk to coach and then he would kind of try and figure something out for us. Um, and that would all be individualized as well, just depending on whoever needed what. Um, but I think those resources could definitely be made out to whoever needed them. Yeah, that's cool. I I think that is going to be, I hope we see it over the next few years, but that kind of strikes me as something that the a lot of the European clubs can catch up on. I don't know if you guys agree. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Like you see it in like the really professional clubs that have more than just like a head coach and maybe a mechanic that also hands out water. But <laughs> like, I don't know, we went to Champions Cup. There were eight teams and I wonder how many physios were there, for example. Like I wonder how many, there were a handful. I know that, but like, and I understand that it's not feasible for some teams. And obviously if you're taking if you're putting money into that, you'd be taking money out of other people's pockets. Like I'm not saying that it should be easy to do, but I do think as the game grows, that sort of stuff needs to get taken care of. Um, one thing I wanted to ask as someone who's kind of combined playing uh, and training a lot and studying for the younger listeners on here, and I don't know how many there are because we can't figure out age demographics from our <laughs> listening stats. But just in case there are kids who are sort of growing up and studying, feeling a bit more intense and they're wanting to play more and more, what would your advice be? Um, I'd say definitely take advantage of it. Um, if you have the opportunity to, to study as well as play basketball, um, definitely definitely take advantage of it um, because it kind of goes back to the beginning of what we started with like me as a 15 year old kid I never knew about wheelchair sports or anything like or adaptive sports or anything like that so I kind of growing up I was like oh I'm gonna go to university you know as a normal uh, kid um, I'm never gonna be able to play any sports or get any type of scholarships like that. But once that world opened up to me, it was just, uh, just a blessing to be honest. Um, and if you, if these younger kids coming up, if they find themselves in a situation to where maybe they don't get a full scholarship, maybe they can kind of find something that works for them and work something out, uh, to, to get schooling done. I think school is important. Um, that's what my parents always told me. Uh, you know, maybe you're thinking about playing basketball long-term, but you need to finish school first, get your degree, and then you can focus on basketball. Sure. Well, yes, sir. Great advice. Um, just before we move on from your UTA years, you mentioned you were there for five years. Do you have, when you think back to UTA, do you have like a high point or a couple of high points that is something that you'll just always remember, be it particularly because of the university or something that you accomplished individually or whatever it may be? Um, I'd say the first thing that stands out was whenever um, my sophomore year, we we won the, the national championship there. Yeah. Um, that team that we had was very... It was one of the best teams that I've been on. Um, and then I'd say my my last three years was kind of more of like a maturity uh, growth for me, um, kind of stepping into the role of being the captain of the team and then right. having a lot of these other guys um, graduate or leave. So the team was getting a little bit younger. And it was kind of just being able to motivate them and be more of a, aside from being captain, that that was kind of more of like just a title, but it's kind of the way I try to present myself 
and represent the team and be the best person that I can be for my teammates as well, encouraging them, um, making sure that they know that they're here for a reason. I think that's a lot of, um, or that's a major thing that I feel kids growing up kind of have is that doubt. Let's go like, oh, I'm not gonna be be good enough to maybe get a scholarship to so and so university or things like that. Um, it's kind of just being able to give them that confidence. I think my last couple of years was just um, a very very good spot for me uh, as a person. Definitely, yeah. I think it is. It's great you can let like you say pack that into a five-year window because I think for a lot of people the kind of giving back to the sport element doesn't necessarily come until they've you know kind of had their career and and peaked but I guess maybe the kind of the fact that the college thing is like a, a finite period of time means that you live that whole cycle on like a an increased speed which I'd never thought of but that's really interesting right shall we talk a little bit about your team USA exploits so you were in the usa under 23s uh for a period of time and you're now making your way through to the senior team you were a reserve for tokyo if i'm not mistaken um and you're now you guys have just had your first set of trials you've made Mm -hmm. your way through that into the 17 so congratulations thank you and yeah i guess to take it start off with the under 23s what was kind of your first taste of the the international game um as a usa representative given that you had probably played with international guys at, at this point but how did it strike you when you first you know put the usa jersey on uh i mean just speaking from that toronto experience i think it was very uh a good slap in the face <laughs> for for me personally i, I think um, the team that we had individually. I know whenever we played GB, we got smacked around, and I think it was more so at the time. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say cocky, or I I'd, I'd kind of say a little bit cocky, or just overconfident, or maybe not realizing the difference of like the level of basketball. I think. Um, I definitely saw it, and I hope the the rest of the guys that were with me on that team had that same realization whenever we tried to compete against them. Um, and to me, that kind of just motivated motivated me to to get better because the the level of uh, basketball is just much greater. And if I wanted to keep pursuing my dreams of uh, reaching the the men's team. I would. I was gonna have to do something to improve. James, do you want to take a quick victory lap on the getting smacked around by GV <laughs> I handed out water. I don't have anything to say. I made sure the guys were hydrated and motivated, as did six other people beside me. It's 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 fine. But yeah, it's a weird one. Like it's fun having people on here and being like, oh yeah, we were at that tournament together and we didn't like, like we we didn't know each obviously. But yeah, yeah that was a fun the fun sort of thing about having people on here. But what was the, like, did you have any like team USA senior men's experiences while you were still in the under 23s? Like, did you go to camps or anything and play with those guys? 
Um, yeah, I think kind of later along the line, I think whenever I was 21, 22, I was invited for a men's tryout. And that's when I got to meet more of the, the other guys like Matt, Steve, Mikey, Brian, Trayvon, Jake. Um, who else? That must have been... We've just had um, had Phil Prouton the other day, and he mentioned about showing up to his first like seniors camp, and the kind of moment where you push into the sports hall and be like, "Oh damn!" Like, look at these guys who are here. That must have been a daunting first training session for you when you had to just strap up and go against those guys. Yeah, and it was just at first, uh, I kind of went into like, "Man, like these guys are." so much better than me but it's kind of you had to go with the mindset that you know i got invited to this tryout i must be doing something right um that there is something with the level of basketball that i'm showing to the coaching staff that allows me to be here with the rest of these guys and i think i think a good example that i always kind of think of is when I think the first time I played against Pat, um, you know, I had seen him play before, which was just crazy because yeah. it's kind of when I was starting out uh, with the yeah. sport. But then whenever I was finally able to play against them, you know, you got to go onto the court, just being able to play your game. Like it shouldn't matter who you're playing up against. Yeah. You're going to be playing against these big names. Um, but you still have to go out there and compete. Like it, for me, it shouldn't matter who you're going up against. Obviously, it's going to matter who you're going up against. But just mentally wise, not having that, I'd, I'd say, doubt within yourself. Like, oh, man, I'm going up against this. Like, oh, we're going to lose. Like, not necessarily, you know? Yeah. You've spoken about sort of self-confidence and mindset in a couple of different ways already is that something that you struggled with previously and you now obviously it very much seems like you have your have your head wrapped around it at this point but was there like a was there something was that something you struggled with and is there a moment that you can pinpoint that your mindset changed um i think and i i'm not gonna speak for i guess everyone else or maybe everyone within like the adaptive world um, for those who have struggled with their disability growing up or things like that. But me personally, um, I did struggle with that, just kind of being self-conscious about my my prosthetic or things like that, or just being confident in myself of being able to do anything physical. Um, so whenever I was able to kind of being able to express myself with sports it just boosted my, just my whole demeanor and everything, my personality. I was, and then whenever I was at UTA, I think, I think every athlete goes through kind of like a, like a slump. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd say, I think the beginning of the season this year, I kind of had like another slump. Right. Just kind of me being very critical of myself, of my performance and things like that, of trying to figure out what I can do to improve my game and things like that. Um, but I can't exactly say like a moment 
I can pinpoint to where things change, but I've, I'd say maybe my juniors, my fourth year at UTA was kind of where just mentally I was just at a, at a good point, like just being trying or just overall, just trying to be a positive person, no matter what the situation is, um, whether it be with basketball or just outside the court. So in that sense, um, I guess as you've progressed through kind of the U.S. team, you guys are obviously going through a little bit of a, I don't know if rebuild is the is the right word, but obviously a lot of the guys who've been kind of the mainstays of the last eight to ten years are, have chosen to, you know, move on and call it an international career at least. So you're kind of part of this new nucleus that we'll be going through and, you know, we'll be in Dubai and beyond. So what was it like in terms of you've spoken about kind of not being, you know, afraid of the moment or starstruck or whatever it may be now that you've kind of been through it with some of the veteran guys and this team's going to be angling a bit younger. Do you, do you get the feeling now that you've got what you've worked for and you've kind of arrived? I'd say not yet. Um, because I still feel like I have a, a lot more to accomplish um, because still I haven't been named onto a, an official team yet, um, final roster. So even though I've gotten close, I still haven't gotten uh, to feel or taste any of that, Definitely. those moments. Um, so that's kind of why I'm still, like, like you said, all these previous guys are starting to retire and things like that. And maybe some of these um younger guys or like including me for example they could say oh you know these guys are going to start retiring you know it's it's going to be so much more easy for me to be able to to slide in and and uh earn a spot but you can't really go in with that mentality because you still have to try out you still have to show um that you're capable of playing at that international level Definitely. Um, so I think at the moment, I wouldn't say I'm I'm too happy with where I'm at basketball wise. Awesome. Sure. Pl- plenty more years to come then, I guess. Is, yeah, is yeah. Like for sure. Yeah. And as a wider team uh, for Team USA, have you guys spoken about expectations for Dubai with so many players moving on? Is there any sort of allowance for, hey, we've <laughs> Um, you know, we've lost this guy, this guy, and this guy. It could be understandable if we don't win the whole thing, or is it just gold medal every year when you play for such a such a big squad? Yeah, that I, that's pretty much the the mindset always. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's like oh, it's a it's an American thing. You know, <laughs> being from the states, USA. You know, Maybe. we we always strive to be the best. Um, these past couple of tournaments and things like that, like Paralympics, even though uh, last worlds, they came up short to GB and got silver. Um, I think the team as well as like the USA program, I think gold is always what we strive to achieve. Um, I think no matter who is on said team, the goal is always the same to come out and on top. Um, and I think that's 
I think that's a mindset that I think every team should should try and have. Sure. Just yeah. like you're you're trying to compete. Um, you're representing your country. So I think yeah. if if you don't win, obviously it's gonna be very difficult um for each country. But that's kind of what everyone should strive for. I think so. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, should we move on to some club stuff? As we know, Fabian, you're wrapping up after what is your second season, but is really a year and a half with yeah. uh, with Vigo. So you arrived there kind of post-pandemic, well, not post-pandemic, but post-leagues being shut down for the pandemic. So I guess my first question was going to be, Vigo isn't necessarily always the hotspot for pulling across kind of overseas talent. So why was Vigo your first choice when you came over to Europe? Um, it kind of, it was kind of a funny and lucky situation at the same time um, because they were a couple of the people there at Vigo. They were also doing a podcast. Um, and since they know... Uh, we got competition we didn't know about. <laughs> well, they don't do it uh now anymore so (laughs) we're fine fine. um they were asking pincho if they knew anybody from over here uh that would be interested in doing a a podcast about um talking about the differences between the spanish league and the collegiate league over here in in the states and since i knew pincho uh a decent amount at that time and i don't think anyone else from any college spoke spanish or things like that uh he he thought of me and he kind of got my contact out to them and then after the podcast i kind of talked to agustin and then from there i just kind of started asking them like you know how how does one get started over here you know i'm almost gonna be or I'm about to graduate, um, and my plan is to try and maybe come overseas. I don't know if it may be Spain or Germany or whatever league. I can try and find a team. Sure. Um, like if you know, if you can help me out with anything, and that's kind of how we kind of started. And I think I got lucky because of some some of the things that were going on within the club. You know, I think Salvi ended up having to leave. Sure. Uh, he went to Mid- uh, Mideba afterwards, so it kind of opened up a spot, and they were needing a four-pointer, so they were kind of like, oh, you know, send us some some videos of you playing and things like that, and then we'll reach out to you to see if... What? When you say you got speaking to Augustine about how you could potentially get your name out there, I just imagine you like handing him a whole wedge of business cards and him just pocketing like the lot of them. Like, <laughs> Nobody else is finding out about this guy until we've had chance. So talking about Alejos, obviously, the first thing on the list when you get to a team that's kind of run through one guy is figuring out how you fit in there. So what was that process like coming to a, a team that had kind of been run by a ball dominant four or five for a long time? I think whenever they reached out to me, I talked to Cesar, the coach, um, and he kind of talked to me and explained to me that, you know, 
what we're going to try and have you do here is not really too different of what I've seen you play in those clips that you sent me uh, at UTA. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for someone who's able to, to handle the ball, kind of take the, the, the defense away from Agustin uh, and just have another threat uh, on the floor. So they were kind of – they weren't asking me to change too much of, of my game. Well, mi mission accomplished because um, you played half your first season in Spain and you came away as the top scorer by points per game uh, that season. We had Terry Bywater on roughly this time last year who, when we asked him who he'd been impressed by, you were the first guy he named. So you kind of took the um, – to the Spanish league, maybe a little bit by surprise because you only showed up in January, but did that kind of showing up and making the impact you did, did that kind of give you the, the confidence going forward, knowing that you'd made the right move to come overseas when you did? Yeah, I, I think so too, especially considering that um, I think Spain along with Germany are the top leagues. Sure. Um, and I wasn't really too sure uh, what to expect uh, and I wasn't really too sure of how I was gonna fare up to the to level of play over here um, but I just kept thinking back you know um, of the previous tryouts that I had with the men's team and things like that I was talking to some of the guys there um, and I talked I think during one of the last tryouts that we had um, before Tokyo I spoke Osh and he was kind of more of that figure to where he was giving me advice and he was motivating me and giving me some words of advice. And he, he, he just looked at me and said, like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Like seeing how you're playing right now and everything, like you're going to do just fine in Spain. That's great to hear, man. I guess the, the flip side of the whole thing is as we look at your second season in Vigo, so you go from the top scorer in the league, and as the Spanish league seems to do right now, it just gets tougher every year seemingly, and you know, more talent flocks to, you know, be at the big teams or, you know, talent kind of coalesces like we've seen in Malaga, where it was maybe like a not the most obvious group of guys, and then it's like, oh, these guys are are really good <laughs> suddenly. Um so what's it been like? Obviously, get your full foot, your first full season in, but it's in maybe the toughest snapshot of a domestic league we've ever seen anywhere in the world that I'm aware of. That's a hell of an encore performance to you know sign yourself up for. So, how have you handled this past season? I, I think uh, pretty well. Um, I was looking, I was looking forward to finally being able to spend like a whole season. Sure. with with the team um and i think we did a very good job competing um i think vigo we no matter what what the team is like we always try to compete with whatever we have and i think i know from agustin always tells me like what other teams or whatever uh people say to him or things about the team so it's kind of like we were kind of expecting expecting to be on the lower end or not being able to compete too well or things like that. Um, I think that just adds more fuel to the fire. Uh, I know I did for a couple of us. So we very, we tried to do as best as we could to compete every game. And I, I know we, 
we had some very good games with some of the top teams. Um, and it's we're not always going to be able to come out with a with a victory or, or anything like that. But I think just sticking to what um, we tried to do just the whole season. Um, and like I said earlier, I had a bit of a slump, I'd say, throughout um, the early part or I'd say halfway or half of the season. But I think that was just because I was maybe trying to adjust too much to what we had going on on the team, trying to figure out um, how to work out things with teammates, uh, maybe switch up play styles or things like that. I think I over over worried myself a little bit too much when I shouldn't have. So, so you, you talked about that slump on the other side of that. What would you say your high point of your two years in Vigo was? Is there something that sticks out? If I if I could choose one, I'd say coming in and having being the the highest scorer. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, it's not I, bad. I, I think that's a pretty that, obvious one. I don't know why we left that question. <laughs> yeah, kicking the door down. <laughs> I think that came to a shock because whenever I think Rose was the first one to to send me a screenshot, like, "Oh, look, you're the." highest score right now i was like wait really so i had to look on the website and and see for myself but i mean i give thanks to to amphib the opportunity that they gave me and then just uh just giving me that kind of liberty of going there being able to have that confidence be put in me um and be able to have the impact that i did um I think no matter what team I play on, I always try to do the best that I can for the team. Sure. Um, sure. But we'll, we'll see how much more I can do uh, with the time that I'm over here. Definitely. And uh, on that note, we, um, we have a question sent in by a listener. And this one is... I don't think he listens. <laughs> well, maybe not a listener, but we've had a question sent in from Agustina Lejos, who's just said, are you going to miss me? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> you paused for a little bit too long. A little bit. And that was no, he, he knows. He knows it's always uh, jokes. Uh, we have a, a pretty good relationship. Uh, we're very lucky to have had him as a teammate for, for me starting off my career over here. And last thing before we move on to your, your new chapter, I guess linking us to your new chapter, after you've kind of been in Spain for a couple of years now and you've got your your sea legs do you is there anyone who you've played against or with or whoever it may be that you has surprised you or that you underestimated and you're now going into it and being like that guy's not going to get me again and it's hard because there's so many good players over here um man I, I don't know i i can't really think of anything right now i think um i think just being able to compete with everyone over here is just uh so much fun for me uh, especially last year whenever I came in and then when, whenever I first played against Terry, I was kind of like, oh man, I hope he doesn't just <laughs> drop bombs on us or anything. Just um, He's just scoring from three-point line and just dropping, I don't know, 30, 40 on us. But, well, we, um, we've, got, we've got a bench unit first right here because you might be the first American to ever come over and have the proper respect for Terry straight away. <laughs> it's, it's not, normally the normally the u.s guys have to come over and be like uh, he never plays that well against the usa men <laughs> it's like 
You'll just have to. There's a real thing of like, yeah, I've seen him have 35 and 37 and 40 and 42 and 45 and whatever, and no one's been able to stop it yet. But just wait till I have a go. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, it's, it's probably it's probably him. Like, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> on, to, on to your new chapter with Vitalite. So the first question we've been asking people who are joining us with kind of news of their transfer is, why this team and why now? Um, it kind of it kind of just worked out. Um, I was trying to see if I was going to be able to stay with Vigo or not. Um, but I think just because of a better situation for myself personally and what I'm trying to do long term um, in regard to um, my future and. I'm not exactly sure how many more years I'm going to be over here in, in Europe playing uh, before I come back home and start living a normal life, start working <laughs> yeah. and things like that. Um, I think it was definitely a better situation for me to take advantage of with the time that I'm still going to be over here in Spain. Sure. Did you speak to anyone who you know who either plays there or had played there before you made the decision or did you just kind of did they approach you and like you just went for it did you see um, that shade of purple and be like oh man I've got to wear that I spoke to to Maxi a bit uh, he was just asking me what I was maybe thinking of doing that they were interested in having me come over um, bes- beside him Franco there uh, he was a teammate of mine in Vigo the last season. So yes. having him be there gave me a bit more, I guess, confidence of leaving a team and having someone I know be there as well. And him having said very good things about the the club as well as the city. And then it ended up being a funny thing to where they started talking to, to Clarence yeah. and him and I started uh, talking and uh, whenever those things started making headway, it was kind of uh, an easy decision for me. Sure, I, I was going to ask you about that because obviously he's he was your UTA teammate, but you've obviously been on separate paths for the last couple of years. I, I was really interested to know whether you guys had been like having your conversations about joining the team. <laughs> kind of knowing that the other one was doing it or if you were both going to rock up to like the first day of training <laughs> camp and be like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, but, no, we, we, um, he definitely hit me up and he was asking me questions about just the, the league in general. And it, it just ended up working out that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. It's cool that you're, um, cool that you're getting there. It feels like you kind of took the plunge with Vigo, right? And just went to an environment where you didn't really know anybody. So it must be kind of a nice change of pace to be joining up somewhere where there's a couple of familiar faces. Yeah. Is there anyone else there that you're particularly excited to play with? Um, I think, I think Yelmer is going to be a, a good person. Ah, no. <laughs> anyone but Yelmer. No, Yelmer's great. <laughs> I think he's, he's going to be an interesting person to play with. Um, I know he's still, he's still pretty young. Yeah. So maybe I'll try to teach him a couple more things and see what he can improve with his game as well. I know he's, he's messaged me a little bit and we've talked. So we're, 
we're definitely excited. Uh, I think Yelma being there kind of lead, our next question was going to be about the kind of style of play and how you see yourself fitting in. But I think one thing that's slightly different in Vidalid compared to Vigo is Vigo, particularly this past year, you guys struggled for anybody who was really a dominant inside player. Um, yourself and Augustine obviously being slightly more perimeter orientated, but do you look at what you've got with Yelma and maybe to a slightly lesser extent with Adrian Perez and be like, this is, you know, the, this is what I want. I want to be able to play my game and, and feed these guys inside. I think that's definitely going to make my job a lot more easier. Um, I know kind of like the same or similar role that I did with Vigo um, helping Maxi out is going to be the, the thing here with Valladolid. Sure. Um kind of freeing him up as well, but having bigs like Adrian and Yelmer, um, it's it's very going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun just having, I think it's been a while since I've played with a very tall big like Yelmer. Well, we'll, we'll see how it ends up turning out for us. We're going to have to make a request of you at this point because I, I don't know if you're aware, but on bench units, we do a regular segment called the belt where we give the belt out to the, um, you know, the top performer of the weekend or whatever it may be. And Yelma's life's ambition has been to get his hands on the belt, which <laughs> is entirely theoretical, we should point out. But it doesn't mean anything. There are no standards to meet. There are no there's theory. nothing. But you can, we're going to have to ask you, in any given game this year, you can't make Yelma look too good, okay? Because we can't let him have the, have the ammunition gotcha. to back up all the talk. <laughs> gotcha. So, I'll, I'll try to make sure... I'll try to limit his, his success a little bit for, <laughs> for you guys. Thank you, man. We appreciate that. You, you can come back on anytime. <laughs> I'm just randomly wondering the hypothetical situation in which, like, if someone who's used to, like, ball handling on the perimeter played on enough teams that didn't go outside, would they just forget to look inside if they changed on a new team? Like, I'd love the idea of just being like, oh, God, Yelmer's under the basket. I'm not used to that. Like, oh, oh I, I, I didn't see you. Oh, sorry. I, just, I, didn't, like, I, I didn't see you towering over these guys. Yeah, I just, I just deleted that read from my brain. But... So you said, yeah, well, you kind of ended that last little bit with them. We'll see what we do. Do you have any goals for the upcoming season? Um, definitely try and make more of an impact, maybe to see if we can maybe shock some other teams and try and get to those top positions. Maybe we can compete and maybe we can go to one of these other international tournaments, maybe. I don't know. That's just me thinking... I mean, that's something I would want to try and do with whatever team I end up on, you know, try and compete and be one of those top four or whatever uh, yeah. that go on to these other competitions and just yeah. so I can experience something like that. Yeah, I think I was um, I was really glad to see that yourself and, like you say, uh, CJ Grogan had joined Vitaly because listeners have given me a hard time a couple of times this year for being a little bit too harsh on Valladolid for the fact that they had kind of rolled the same team over a couple of years in a row and didn't really seem to be going anywhere other than kind of middle of the pack standings wise. So seeing that they're kind of bringing the the reinforcements in and reimagining themselves, it's really good to see 
clubs not just being content to kind of stay with with where they're at. So presumably that's something that attracted you to the whole situation in the first place. But I, I really look forward to seeing how you guys kind of stack up against, you know, the teams that maybe finished above Vitaly in the, the standards last year. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, for sure. Um, whatever I can contribute to the team, I'm definitely going to try my best to to make sure that we're able to still compete at, at a high level and maybe we can pull off some up, upsets or anything like that. While still not making Yelma look too good. Yeah. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it without him. <laughs> um, all right. So a couple of questions to finish that aren't really about, um, aren't really about anything specific in your career, just kind of weird ones we like to ask people. All right. So, if you could change one rule in wheelchair basketball, serious or stupid, what would it be? What role? Yeah. If you could just change a rule or make one up or do whatever you want. Four-point line, dunk automatically wins the game. Anything you can <laughs> think of. I think four-point line would be pretty pretty nice. Considering what are you that- putting it? Are you putting it like three feet behind the three or are you putting it closer, further away, halfway I'm tr- line? I'm trying to think... What, how far does the big three four-point line oh, they, they put it at? They have, they have a have spot, don't they? Yeah, they have yeah. two four-point They, they have like a, a big yeah. circle for it. So just imagine if we're rolling down the court, I don't know, that'd be tough because you'd <laughs> have to have your wheels within that little that little circle or things like that. I don't know, maybe we, we'll draw up some concepts as to where we can <laughs> put the four-point line and see, see how it turns out. And next one, What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, be it by a teammate, coach, family member, whoever it may be? I think um, just trust yourself. Um, Have, um, again, the confidence in what you're doing. And if you've made it this far, you know, you're you're doing something right. uh, And you should be you should be proud of what you're what you're doing as well awesome cool and last one take it away james Um, last one now normally as mark said before we give the belt away to whoever's had the best performance of the week and whatever but as there's nothing happening and we still want to keep the gimmick up because it's always good to tag someone in an instagram story and get people to share it um who gets the belt this week you get to decide romo you could have you could be the first person who ever says the belt is goes the belt goes to not Yelmer. <laughs> um, or you could give it, give it to a new teammate just to suck up or something. Like you could you could do whatever you want. You could, One of these days I'm gonna just give it to Ayaka for, for the for all the work she does, but um I think I'll go I'll go ahead and say Clarence for making his first move over here to Spain. Awesome. Oh, I like it. Cool. That's a good one. Man, there's going to be a little clique forming at Vidalid, isn't there? <laughs> the guys who come in mates already and the rest of the team. There's something really funny about you joining a team from a guy who like messages us once a week, you know, can I have the belt, please? And you someone who's like on the other side. Of, you're giving it to someone who played a game in Australia at 12 p.m. today. Yeah. Like the guys on the opposite side of the world playing for, I think he plays for the Darwin Salties, yeah. which is the best name of all time. Yeah. 
It's a terrible name. It's a really, really nice jersey. But anyway, cool. That's everything from us, man. So awesome. thank you so much for joining us. This has been, been great having you on. And we look forward to um, we look forward to watching you this season and seeing how you guys fare in Vitalist. Thank you. Well, thank you much for having me. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace.